Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 43. If you have it with your Bibles there, you can follow along. You can follow on the screen. And I know I had you sit, but if you're able, would you stand? We'll read the word of the Lord and pray again, and then, and, and I can promise you can sit for a little bit longer, all right? Matthew 12, 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through the dry places, seeking rest and finds none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, so the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. And with that charming passage of scripture, why don't we pray and uh, we'll feel the presence of God and you'll know where I'm going with this in a moment. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for the revelation that comes by your word and your spirit. Lord, I loose your spirit in this place to touch our hearts and our minds, to challenge us, to change us, and to help us see things from your perspective. In Jesus' name, have your way in this service through this message in Jesus' name today. God bless you. You can be seated. Moms are wonderful creatures and really reflect God's image of Nurture, care, love, provision, um, just wonderful, amazing creatures that God has, has gifted with so much. Women in general, not just moms, but women are a wonder. Um, and, and the Bible speaks very highly of women and uh, has a lot of good things to say. And one of the most wonderful attributes of a woman is that she bears the image of God. She reflects the nature of God in a way that a man does not. Men reflect the image of God in ways that women do not, but women just highlight some of those wonderful qualities of God. God has put inside of women a godliness and a strength and a power that is just unmatched, really. It's wonderful. But oftentimes, moms struggle to keep the balance in the home in a lot of areas. But one in particular is, you know, that balance, that, that delicate balance between cleaning the house, having a tidy home, and spending time with your kids, your family, and managing the other things in your life. There's this constant juggle in our home. and There's a, a, a phrase that gets often used. Steph will say, I feel like I walk from room to room and just find new projects to do and new things to clean that were clean yesterday. Uh, You know, one mom said, I found the secret to keeping your house clean. Never let your children or your husband in it. Another mom wisely stated that cleaning the house with kids underfoot is like brushing your teeth while eating Oreos at the same time. It's just, it just doesn't happen. It can't ever you can't ever get that, that, that Pinterest perfect clean home. Uh, some advice moms give might even just say, you know what, instead of cleaning the house, just turn off the lights. You know, <laughs> some days you feel like that. <laughs> Close the blinds, turn off the lights, then you can't see it. It's not there. My mom always tells the story of when her mom, who was elderly at this point, went and had her cataract surgery done, and she came home and was just totally 
shocked and embarrassed at the layer of dust that was all over everything. She didn't know. And it's almost like she should have kept the cataracts in just so she wouldn't be... What she didn't know didn't bother her. But as soon as she had that surgery done, she was like floored, embarrassed, and just mortified that her house was so dirty. But Jesus reveals an important point and an interesting truth here in this passage we read this morning. The Bible constantly refers to a reality that exists beyond the natural flesh and blood reality we live in from day to day. The Bible doesn't just hint to it, but uh, speaks of it openly, uh, reveals, kind of pulls back the curtain on on the, the, the division between the natural and the supernatural. And one of these one of these revelations Jesus gives here is the revelation of an unclean spirit. The Bible makes it clear that that God is a spirit and he fills all of time and space. He's large and in charge, if you will. And God has angels or other beings that accompany him, that he delegates authority and tasks to. One might say, well, if God was so powerful, why does he need angels? Because God is a God of relationships, and God loves to delegate his authority to others to rule together, not just in a dictatorship, but in a a partnership with other uh, members of his creation. And so God created angels. The Bible talks about the sons of God, how they, they, they joined with the Lord in his, in his creation of the world. They celebrated his creation. But at some point in the pre-earth history, some of the angels decided to rebel, led by one of the chief angels, one of the leaders whose name was, we are told, Lucifer. You can read about him in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Genesis and he, he appears a number of times throughout the scripture, often as the antagonist, often as the enemy, often as the one who has come to twist and pollute what God has created. And, and so Jesus is teaching about what an unclean spirit does. And these, these spirits are invisible. They, they work in the realm of the supernatural, in that, that realm that we don't really have a good hold on. We, we understand a little bit of it because we are spiritual beings, but we're also natural beings. We have flesh and blood, matter and material. And, and so Jesus teaches what the evil spirits do. And, it, and apparently there is this correlation between perversion and sin and, 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 and uh, all kinds of evil and these rebel spirits, if you will, these rebel adversaries of God. Sometimes you, you might hear them referred to as an evil spirit or a demon or a devil, or a fallen angel, or a thief. And uh, I know it's, it's hard to now, it's so prevalent in movies and television and, and uh, shows and whatnot, uh, you know, the concept of being possessed by a spirit or these, these very powerful, terrible beings that create so much havoc. And uh, you really have to work hard to detach yourself from those images that you may have seen in a movie or a television show or read in a book, and, and get the biblical perspective of these spirits. Uh, these spirits cannot materialize. They cannot, uh, you know, fashion a, a, a giant spider and uh, attack your home or 
uh, turn themselves into some kind of a scary-looking clown and pop red balloons and all kinds of crazy things. Uh, that's, that's not what the Bible talks about in the realm of the spirit and the evil spirits and what they do. But Jesus, Jesus teaches here that, that the evil spirits dwell in houses. And the house that an evil spirit dwells in is the life of a person. Because you inevitably, whether you actually live in a house, an apartment, or a castle, or a mansion, or a cardboard box, or under a tarp, it doesn't really matter. Your life is your home. Your life, wherever you live, you you make it yours. And the way you act, you have certain things that you repeat, certain habits that you you go over. And they become, they they are likened unto, Jesus likens your life, your ways of thinking, your ways of acting, like a home and like furniture. Much like you go home and your your kitchen is in the same place it was when you left it this morning and you turn on the water just like you did when you woke up this morning to brush your teeth. There are certain things about you that are consistent and always there and much in that way is your life like a house. And so Jesus refers to the life of a person much like a house that a spirit can live in. And be that spirit evil or be that spirit good is really the struggle of the scripture. It's the struggle of the Bible story. Jesus teaches in another place in John chapter 10 that he calls these evil spirits thieves because they don't actually have the right to, to live in your house, in your life. These evil spirits were never created by God to inhabit your life. And so they are, when they come into your life, they are, they are taking something that does not rightfully belong to them. They don't own you. They cannot possess you. But oftentimes, these evil spirits come in and, and uh, through deception, through trickery, through uh, all kinds of ways, they, they find their ways into our life. And, and even in times... We may act or, or live in a way that would invite them in. But either way, Jesus calls them thieves. In John 10.10, 10, he says, The thief comes not except to steal, to kill, and destroy. See, the devil, uh, his intention for your life is not anything good. It's, it's to steal what you have, to kill it, and then to destroy it to make sure that it never comes back. Uh, I, I, I worked as a landscaper with my dad for many years, and as I was growing up, we would, we would plant plants in, in uh, business condo beds. You know, if you go to the condo beds and they have the light poles with the flower beds around it, that was one of my dad's jobs, and we, we always loved packing those beds full of flowers, and all year round, it was just a gorgeous overflow of flowers and beautiful plants growing all year round. And, and every, every week it was my job to go in and fertilize. I'd go water and fertilize these plants. And, and it was a routine every summer that, that while the garden grew, there were holes in the garden that weren't there before. And what was happening was people were coming in and loved the flowers so much that they took some of them home to put in, put in their garden, thinking that everything would just kind of grow in and fill up the holes. And inevitably they, they, they left patches of bare dirt where flowers used to be. They, they stole the flowers, but I don't imagine that they stole them, then killed the flowers and destroyed the flowers so nobody could enjoy them. No, they, 
they, they, they took the flowers home and probably planted them in their garden, right? But the devil doesn't do that. When he comes into your life, he doesn't steal it for the sake of taking it on himself and amassing something to himself to make him better. He takes it so that he can destroy it, so that he can steal it from you. His, his goal, his purpose in your life is never, is, is, it always seems like it's good. It's always seeming like he's trying to give you something or bless you with something. But in, in actual fact, Jesus pulls back the curtain and says his intention, no matter his deception, no matter his ruse, no matter his guise, his intention is to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus called him as well the tempter. In Matthew 4, when Jesus is in the desert, he had fasted for 40 days, and the Bible says the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. He was the tempter. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, Paul said, I I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was strong, for I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. Paul had worked a long time in Thessalonica, and he sent Timothy back to the city that he worked in because he wanted to make sure that the tempter, that evil spirit, had not come into their life and lured them away from their life in Christ to a baser and more ungodly life where Paul said, basically, all of our work to help you and to strengthen you and to bring you into the kingdom of God would have been lost if you had listened to the tempter because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the things that the devil loves to do and the the way he gains access and entrance into the house of your life is he asks you questions, questions like this. Did God really say, is it really that important? Does the Bible really have that kind of significance? Does God really exist? Does it really matter? I mean, can't we just get along without it? These are some of the tactics, some of the things, and and even to the point where he'll contradict the word of God. You won't die if you do this. You won't really be that bad off if you give in to this kind of sin. This, This temptation comes. It comes and lures you away. James 1.13 talks about how when we are tempted, we should definitely never accuse God of being the one who tempts us because it's the devil, that evil spirit, who comes and lures us away. Verse 14 says, but when each person is tempted, he is lured away. Think of fishing. What do you do when you go fishing? You add something to the end of the line. It's usually bright and shiny or looks like a fish or a fly or a worm. It's called a lure. It's fake. It's not real. But it's meant to draw the fish close. And when the fish get curious and they they may think, that is an actual crayfish, that is an actual fish, that's an actual frog, and they go to bite it, they find that there is a hook on the lure and they get stuck. It's the same way with sin. Evil spirits often work with things that lure us away. Pull us away from God. They lure us away with, with, with false deceptions. And, and, and often, I don't think the devil has to work that hard. All he has to do is throw a little lure in the water. He just has to throw a little attraction. Our natural tendency to go after that thing is enough that he doesn't have to do a whole lot of work. 
But Jesus warns us that these evil spirits, when they, when they lure you in and they gain access, they begin to wreak the havoc that they desired to do in the first place. The devil wars and fights against our mind. The battleground for your spiritual health is right here between your ears. The battleground, the spiritual warfare that is fought in your life, whether to gain you closer relationship with the Lord or to pull you away from Him, is happening in between your ears. It's the battleground of the mind. The devil uses weapons like lies, accusation, guilt, shame, temptation, fear, anxiety, depression, worry, Stress, doubt, unbelief, distracting thoughts, hatred, envy, jealousy, and more. And all of those things are usually packaged in a nice little attractive way to pull you away from your walk with God, to cause you to doubt or mistrust the words of Jesus and lean more on your own understanding and your own intellect and your own knowledge and pull you away from the ways of God. The devil often uses shame and guilt to propel us into old addictions. I've read some material on addictions, and and, uh, one thing that fascinated me was the cycle that people often find themselves in, in addictive behavior. It goes something like this. I'm not not by any means an expert, but from what I've read, I've discovered that, that addiction works like this. You feel... A negative emotion, a negative feeling, perhaps, uh, you know, guilty or shame for who you are as a person, what you do. You have, you know, something's in your life that's causing you stress or uh, an anxious feeling. And that's not wrong. That's normal. That's a normal human experience. But in order to deal with that negative emotion that can be very overwhelming, the person goes to some kind of a behavior. And sometimes the behavior can be as as innocent as eating donuts or chocolate or some kind of a, you know, non-sinful behavior like that, might even go as far as to, to smoke a cigarette, you know, to, to get the high off of the nicotine to calm your nerves or to go a little further and to induce a little bit of drugs, marijuana perhaps, into that mix or even, even further to, to take a more addictive drugs and uh, uh, maybe snort or uh, inject those drugs into your system in order, not because that person is terrible or bad or really evil, but they're desperately trying to find a way to cope with the stress, the negative things in their life, the difficult circumstances, and then the high leaves. The pleasure there actually comes in and, and helps them through that moment. They feel better for a while. The high of the sugar, the high of the, the smoke, the high of the drug, the high of the injection helps them for a time. Or maybe the, 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 the soothingness of the alcohol takes the edge off. It, it helps them in a certain way, but inevitably that thing dissipates. The effects leave. And the negative emotions that were there before are there with an extra layer of guilt, with an extra layer of shame, perhaps with an extra layer of, uh, of fear, who knows, all kinds of things. And that 
onset of fear and anxiety and everything that started before propels them right back into the same thing. What's happened is their brain has created a track that says the way to deal with this negative emotion is eating, is doing nothing, is smoking, is doing drugs. And the brain creates a track that says the only way to handle this is to drink. The only way to handle this is to do drugs. The only way to handle this is to work. The only way to handle this is to exercise. Whatever it is, whatever the behavior is, whatever the coping mechanism is, your brain creates a track that says the only way to handle this is. And often people who suffer with great addiction find themselves in this endless cycle they, that they don't want to be in. Many times people who are addicted to things don't necessarily want to be stuck there forever, but, but maybe they just accept that this is the only way to handle this. This is the only way to deal with this. What is this? This is a lie. This is a lie. Who is the one who's perpetuating this lie? It's not God. You read the scripture and you'll find many times the Bible tells us what to do with our cares, our anxieties, our worries. Tells us to confess them one to another. In other words, to create a community of people around you that will support you in your struggles. That will encourage you in your weaknesses and, and help you in the, and celebrate your strengths. Uh, the Bible encourages you to pray and cast all your anxieties on the Lord. The Bible tells you to get, seek counsel from those who are wiser than yourself to help you with difficult circumstances. There's ways to handle your difficult situations. The Bible counsels you that instead of thinking on things that are negative or, or, or tearing you down, think on things that are good, that are of a good report and, and virtuous and praiseworthy. Instead of letting your mind be the dumping ground for the devil's thoughts, uh, let your mind be the garden of the Scripture that flowers and produces what God... See, there's ways to handle the negative and difficult circumstances of life. Uh, you will inevitably face challenging moments, but there are ways. The Bible gives you those ways, but the devil also has ways. And the Bible makes it clear that the devil's desire is to move into your life and set up his camp in your life as his home. What, what hope do we have against this kind of insidious enemy? I mean, the devil can use all kinds of media, and I think he does. He's behind a lot of the things that come across the, the, the Hollywood screens, the movies, the TV shows. He's behind the messages that come out of the, the system of the world. He is propelling these lies and he's propelling all kinds of things into the mainstream to, to, to numb us to the reality that, that this is his reality and it's true. But, but you read the Bible and you find there's a new reality. There's a different reality in Scripture. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life, and life more abundantly. 
Jesus said, I want to expose what Satan is up to. He has a lure, and it looks good, and it looks right, and it sounds right, and it swims like a fish, and it looks like a frog, and it looks like a real worm. It's it's realistic. It it moves and maneuvers in the water exactly like a, a, a real fish would or a real crawfish or a real frog. But you take a bite of that lure, and you'll find that there's a hook in it. You find that there's something you cannot pull yourself away from it will lock you in and drag you to the very end to steal kill and destroy the good in your life but Jesus said I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly Job in the Old Testament was a man whose life was attacked by Satan and Satan was desperately trying to lure Job into the trap of cursing God for the negative things in his life And while Job definitely struggled with it, when it was all said and done, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though though God puts me through the worst circumstances, I will not curse him and die. And you know the end of the story was God restored restored to Job everything that he had lost and he was he received double and even sometimes triple what he had before his life was decimated because he found that he was not going to take the bait of Satan to to curse God in spite of his circumstances. He was going to pray. He was going to surround himself with friends who weren't always the best friends, by the way, but he still surrounded himself with other people who believed in God. He got himself through it by prayer and community. And in the end, God restored to him what was taken in the first place because when the thief steals... The Bible says if you catch the thief, he has to take back seven times and give back seven times what he took. See, the devil cannot keep what does not belong to him. But you've got to keep your life centered on Jesus. Jesus said, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Jesus said in John, 1 John 3 and 8, actually it wasn't Jesus, but it was John who was writing. He said, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. The devil wants to set up house in your life. But Jesus said, I've come to reveal that old charlatan for who he really is. I've come to destroy what he is doing in your life uh, so that I can cause your life to grow and produce fruit. Uh, We talked last week about blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Why? What happens? Because he becomes like a tree planted by the rivers of water. God wants your life to be like a tree that produces fruit. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, we don't wage war according to the flesh. You can't fight this this spiritual force in fleshly ways. You can't take out a gun and shoot the devil in the head. You can't take out a trap and, and catch him in a box and throw away the key like the old Sunday school song says. What have you got to do? You've got to address it in the plane of the supernatural. You've got to deal with it in your mind. You've got to stop the thoughts before they, they take root in your life. The, the thoughts are like, are like airplanes. You can't stop them from flying over your, your house or your life, but you can prevent them from landing in your front yard. Thoughts are also like birds. You can't stop them from, from flying over your head or even you know, pooping on you every once in a while. But you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. 
Thoughts are like that. They come through your mind. They fly over your head. But you don't have to let them become something that you dwell on. You can address those thoughts. You can challenge the thoughts that come your way. See, when you have a life in Christ, Jesus comes in and he cleans house. He cleans the house. Jesus said, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, how does that happen? The devil doesn't just move out of your house on his own. And he definitely won't move out because you ask him to. He'll laugh in your face, say, no, I'm here to stay. So evidently, Jesus is talking about when, when, some, when the evil spirit leaves someone's life, it's because God has evicted that spirit out of their life. God has cast that devil out. God has, has moved in and begun to clean house. So Jesus said, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through the dry places. He's homeless. He seeks rest and he finds none. The, the, the evil spirit goes from place to place and he doesn't find rest in the Tim Hortons building. The devil doesn't find rest in the tree or in the grass or in the field or under the earth. The devil finds rest in the life of a person that he can pervert and twist to his liking. So he says to himself, Jesus said, this is what's going on behind the scenes, guys. When the devil is evicted out of your life, you come to God, you clean up, you get baptized, you fill with the Holy Ghost, and your life begins to take a change. The devil is evicted from your life that quickly, that easily. He's out. But he goes around looking for other places to live, and he doesn't find anything quite as nice as what he had when he was living with you. So he returns to the house from which he came. And he comes and finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Well, doesn't that sound lovely, moms? A house that is empty, swept, and put in order. (laughs) All the books back on the shelf. All the Legos off the carpet. Can all the dads say amen to that, right? All, All the toys put away. The bikes in the garage, safe in the garage, not under the wheels of the van, not on the road for the car to run over or the neighborhood kid to steal. The bikes are safely in the house. The house is put in order, ladies. Your spice cabinet is finally organized to your liking. You open it and you know where every spice is. And guess what? Each spice is filled properly. And the one that you need today that you go to is actually full. You don't have to run out to the store and get it. The eggs are in the fridge. And guess what? There's not one egg left in the 12 carton. There's 12. Right? When you pull out that recipe that you've been wanting to try, and it calls for two eggs, but there's only one in the fridge, and you have to go online, and they say, use applesauce instead of eggs. And you go, I don't have applesauce. So you have to peel the apple and make your own applesauce to bake the muffin. No, everything's put in order. The snacks are where they should be. The flower bag is not doesn't have a hole in it leaking all over your pantry. No, everything is exactly the way your bathroom is clean. Lovely. And somebody cleaned the hair out of the bathroom drain. Oh man, your house is in order. And that evil spirit comes back and finds all of this stuff there. But one thing I noticed, he finds it empty. And the evil spirit doesn't go rats, I can't move in. He goes Man, I need some help with this. So he goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than himself 
and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. The evil spirit is evicted. The house is clean. When you are baptized in Jesus' name, 2 Corinthians 5 Verse 17 says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new. The house is made new again. The walls are painted. The bathroom faucet is fixed. The toilet doesn't leak. Uh, the, the shower uh, runs hot water when you need it. And, 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 and the fridge works fine without that, that annoying hum noise. It's nice. Everything is brand new. The dishwasher runs without leaking. It's just a beautiful thing when your life is new in Christ. Repentance turns and makes changes. Baptism washes everything and gets it clean. But the worst thing about all of that is if you leave the house empty. It's funny. A house that is not taken care of but is lived in lasts longer than a new house that stays empty. If a house is built this year and is not inhabited for five years, it deteriorates faster than if a house is lived in for 10 or 15 years but isn't well taken care of. Because there's just something about an empty house that causes it to deteriorate faster. Nobody notices the cracks that develop in the wall. Nobody noticed the mice that begin to move in and eat the furniture and eat the, 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 the insulation and chew holes through all the plumbing and everything. Nobody notices the raccoons that move into the attic because the house is empty. When the house is empty, moms, I know you really, you really try to live that balanced life of, uh, uh, of clean house versus time with your family. But can I just say, err err on the side of time with your family because an empty house is a lot worse than a full house. An empty house is way worse for you than a full house. Sure, a full house means more muddy floors, more dishes to clean, more bathrooms to take care of, more beds to make, more toys to pick up, but an empty house is way worse than a full house. Because Jesus wanted to make it clear that the only thing that invites the devil back faster than anything in your life is when your life is empty. Your life may be cleaned up. You might come to God and get your life all cleaned up. But if you don't let fill up that house, with, if you don't fill up your life with God, the devil can just go and get seven guys and come in and move right back in and take the house, your life, back to the garbage dumps where he left it. See, Jesus wanted to emphasize the fact that the thing that keeps the devil out is not not barbed wire fence. The thing that keeps the devil out is not guard dogs. Uh, The thing that keeps the devil out isn't even church attendance. What keeps the devil out is letting Jesus in. And not just in to clean it up periodically, once a month or once every other week, but every single day you've got to let Jesus move in 
to your life. You've got to allow your life to be full of the Spirit. The Bible talks about not to be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, singing unto yourself, making melodies in your heart unto the Lord, singing with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. How do you keep the devil out? You let the Lord fill you up every single day with his spirit. It's not enough for you just to repent of your sin and say the sinner's prayer. That's good. It begins the cleaning process. It's not enough for you to get baptized in Jesus' name. You need that. You have to have that in order to go to heaven, by the way. You, you need that. that. That is essential. Baptism is essential to your salvation. It's a must-have because it repairs the broken windows in your house. It makes all things new. It puts a fresh coat of paint on your house, on your life. It restores things that are broken. But that's not enough. You've got to be filled with the Spirit, because when the devil leaves your house, when you repent and get baptized, he comes back a few days later and sees that there's nobody living in this new, nice, clean house. And he takes seven other spirits worse than himself and moves right back in. What is the thing that causes the devil to reclaim your life? It's an emptiness in your soul. You've got to stay filled with the Spirit. In Acts 4, this is, mind you, this is days after the church was filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time in Acts 2 and, and Acts 1. This is four chapters after the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the church faces a problem, and the Bible says they go to prayer. And when they had prayed, Acts 4 and 31... The place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened? Weren't they already filled with the Holy Spirit? Weren't they already filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts 1? What, what caused them to need to be filled again? What, what was it that, that, that turned their life upside down, that, that emptied them out of the Holy Ghost? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. The most important thing was that once they felt that they were a little empty, they got refilled. They prayed again. They sought God again. And the Bible says they were filled with the Spirit because you need to be regularly filled with the Spirit. You cannot just survive on an experience here and there, on an encounter with God here and there. You must be regularly filled with the Spirit. Sing and worship to God. Make a noise, joyful noise unto the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Do something for the kingdom of God. Pray without ceasing. Do something. Get Get connected to God, to the church, and find your way into His presence. Be filled again and again and again. Because the only thing that puts up the neon light sign in your life that says, open for the devil to come in and destroy, is when your life is empty without God. You can have a repentance experience. That's great. You can have a baptism experience. That's even better. But if your life is empty, it's a neon sign for the devil to move right back in and destroy what was fixed in the first place. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. People that come get saved, 
I, I tell you, wonderful conversions. I remember a, a particular individual who, who got saved, and they began to pray. This was at, shortly after their baptism. And they, they looked at me and they said, you know what? I was watching this movie the other day, and I had to turn it off. I don't know. I always I love this movie. I used to watch it all the time. But I can't watch it anymore. Something, something in me said no. So I turned it off. I never sat down with that person with a list of movies that are, now that you're a Christian, this is the list of, here's the rating you should avoid. You know, if the, if the movie says it's this rating, don't watch it. You're forbidden. And if you happen to stick that thing in your DVD player, it'll burst into flames. No, I never had that conversation with her. That's ridiculous. Who did? Jesus. She had invited him into her life, and he was beginning to clean the house. He began to convict her on her own. But it didn't take very long, and life got busy, and things got distracted, and slowly but surely, the changes began to let those things back in. What was going on? The house had gotten empty for one reason or another. And then this is not, this is not a personal story. This is a, a collection of, of experiences I've had as a pastor for years. I've seen it. People allow their life to become empty. How do you let your life get empty? Well, you don't pray as often. You don't discipline yourself to worship, to seek God, to fellowship with the church, to, to get involved in the kingdom things. You let your life get empty from the king, things of God. And when your life is empty, it's an open door policy. For whoever wants to move in, let them move in. Your life can become like the garden God wants it to be. It can be like the tree that is planted by the rivers of water that produces fruit in its season all the time. All the time. In its season, it can produce fruit. But you've got to let it be filled and stay connected to God. Let's stand this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the encouragement of your spirit to be filled and to stay full, to not allow life to drain us or to empty us, but to allow your spirit to fill us full and overflowing, God, so that we, we don't leak out, we don't, we don't become deprived or, or empty to the point where the devil can move in. Lord, a clean house is nice, but a full house is better. It's nice to have a clean house and you do your work of cleansing us when we make mistakes. And Lord, you don't expect us to be perfect. You never really demanded us to always have a, a, a clean situation. That you would do the cleansing work in us, God. That we don't have to do the cleaning, but you would be the one that would begin to clean us. But Lord, the thing that is going to keep the house clean is if we let it be filled with your spirit. A full house is better than a clean house. And Lord, we want to be filled with your spirit. Cleanse us today. Wash us today and fill us with your spirit. Fill us full, Lord God, with your presence. We need you today. We need you this morning, Lord. Have your way in our lives. I pray for every person here today, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would fill them, that they would feel the touch of your spirit, God, that they would turn their hearts to you, God, and, and surrender their lives to you completely. In Jesus' name, fill us, Lord, and help us to be full of your spirit. Help us to live the way you want us to live. I want to live the 
the way he wants me to live. Would you sing that? I want to give. Sing it as your prayer this morning. Until there's just no more to give. I want to love, love till there's just no more love. For I could never, never out love the Lord. I want to live the way you want me to give, Lord. I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love, love till there's just no more love. For I could never, never out love the Lord. Just in these few moments before we close, would you close your eyes and just Talk to the Lord about what you've heard this morning. If nothing else, I want you to remember that God wants to fill your life with His Spirit. He wants to fill your life with His love. He wants you to be full and and, and prevent all the onslaught of the world, all the onslaught of what the devil wants to come in and steal and destroy and kill. He wants to fill it and keep a blockade. So your life can be fruitful. So your life can be full of life, abundant and overflowing. Jesus, in your name, fill us, Lord, this morning. Touch hearts. Draw us closer to you, Jesus. You're not here to bash us over the head or condemn us or 